For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Game Face on the Believe Talent Network. My name is Richard the Razor Ewing. If you are on this podcast right now and you're trying to figure out what shade pastel to put in your living room, you are on the wrong podcast. If you are on this podcast right now and you are trying to figure out the different type of shingles to put on your your roof, you are on the wrong podcast. However, if you are looking for Bay Area sports and you're looking for intriguing sports in a unique way, on a national level, you just put your game face on. Welcome, welcome. As I said, I'm Richard Razor Ewing. This is Game Face on the Bleed Town Network. I got my main man, Mike Desu Schumann, on with me. Mike, what do we got tonight? Well, we got an old, old friend joining us tonight, a former Raider. We're going to talk Raiders tonight. Born in 19... I actually won't say what year he was born. I'll just say he was from York, Pennsylvania, and he's about to join the back nine of life. That would be 50 years old. <laughs> the largest human being I've ever seen nationally. No Roy's, no weights. <laughs> I call him Big Smooth, Lincoln Kennedy. Wow. Went to high school in San Diego, okay, University wait, of Washington. Wait, wait, wait. Wait. You no, got, let me finish. Let me finish. You got the big LK with us tonight. Big smooth. The big smooth. The big yes. LK. Okay, okay. All right, all right. Are you going to continue to interrupt me or what? Well, you know, I do that. All right. High school in San Diego, University of Washington. Number one draft pick of the Atlanta Falcons. Number nine overall. This is offensive tackles. How much they're worth. 93-95 of the Falcons. Joined the Raiders 96 to 2003. And then, unbeknownst to me, we talked about it. We'll talk about it more. Played for the uh, Tampa Bay Storm in the Arena League. All-American at Washington, three-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. Played the Super Bowl with the Raiders, as I mentioned, and lost to Tampa and then played for Tampa in the Arena Bowl. Let's see. Iron wow. Man, like that. Big Smooth, thanks for joining us, buddy. Richard, Mike, glad to have you. Glad to be with you guys. All right, I got to ask you about this. I didn't know this. Your given name... Is Tamerlane Fazell Kennedy? Now, Junior. Your mom, you were born on the same day. Yeah. And I guess she called you Little Lincoln, and then that stuck, and you changed your name officially after college. So my question is, what were people calling you in college? Lincoln. Everyone knew me as. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knew me as Lincoln. You know what's the funny story about that is that. You, you remember when we were younger and the, the teacher used to take attendance out loud? Yeah. Teachers would struggle with my first name. And it's, it's, it sounds exactly like it's spelled, but yeah. they would struggle with the first name. So I just said, look, just call me Lincoln, because that's my mom called me. And then we expanded to Lincoln, and you know, one thing left to another. But you know, because I'm a junior, 
my dad, um, when he was growing up, people called him Tam or Tammy. And my mom hated that name for a boy. She was like, it just doesn't sound right. So that's how I got Link because I was born on Link's birthday. And that's the nickname Cat Cult. And, um, you know, everyone just called me Lincoln. And another interesting story about that, when I got drafted, my first check from the Falcons was issued in Lincoln Kennedy. And that's not on my – I couldn't cash it. Oh. So I, oh. I had to go down to the Social Security office, and I actually had to get, all you know, AKA another Social Security card so I could you know, have Lincoln added on my bank account and I could cash the checks. Because my well, contract – this will be my next bar bet. Can you name Lincoln Kennedy's actual name? I'll guarantee you nobody's going to get it. Speaking of bets, does somebody say playoffs, NBA, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, all in full swing? And our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Of course, I love to bet on the NBA Finals. I love to bet the NFL, so I can't wait till those came, come up. Never did it as a player. So take full advantage of sports being back. Get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. There's always the online casino as well. It never closes. Head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sports book experts. And before we get to the Raiders, uh, here's my big smooth story. Monday Night Football in Denver. We're there with ABC doing a post-game show. And the, the security guy, Martin Wyatt, myself, are ready to go on the field and start the show. The guy goes, hey, dudes, you might not want to go out there. You might get hit by a snowball. I was like, snowball? What the hell? He goes, you ever get hit by a snowball from the top deck of Mile High Stadium? And I said, oh, well, whatever. So we walk out there. Sure enough, one hits me in the shoulder. It was like a rubber bullet. There's a little battery inside of it. So they've been sitting there for three hours forming this thing, and then they just rained them on us. Wow. So we kind of rush off the field. I look over, and I see Lincoln, and it looked like something glanced off his helmet, and it was another snowball. So he's looking. This, these, they're yelling at him. And they, all of a sudden, Lincoln is in the stands. <laughs> and I don't care how big a man Big Smooth is. You know, if you're in Section D of Mile High Stadium, I don't think you're going to have a chance. So Mike Taylor was right there. The PR guys said, Mike, you better go get Lincoln out of there. He, he can take about 20 of them on, but I don't think he can take the whole section. What's your memory of that? And was it wasn't a snowball. I think it hit you in the face, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It, there was a snowball. I turned around, and, you know, we lost that game to Denver in overtime. And I can't stand the Broncos. So I was mad. You know, they busted off a long run to end the game in overtime. And I was like, okay, all right, we're done. So I'm walking back. All of a sudden, see the snowballs rain, and people running off the field. Teammates run off the field, and I said, "You know what? I'm I'm tired. I just played five in, five quarters of football. I'm not running anywhere, you know." So I'm I'm walking back, and I see this guy. Oh, out of the corner of my eye, just wind up and throw the snowball, and it hits me right in the bridge of my nose, right in my helmet, and on the bridge of my nose starts bleeding. So I lost it. I was I was I'm you know, yelling as as you mentioned, and you know back in the old mile high, they had that 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 sort of chain link fence that was behind the bench is separating. And at first I went over and I was going to try to climb over that. But then if I would have went on that, it would have been like Godzilla the whole thing would have collapsed on the people who were trying to get out. So I went around the gate and the guy is still throwing snowballs and he, he and I made my way over to him. And I had no intention initially of doing what I did, but when I got there, I, I lost it even more. So I got there and I said, look, you broke the skin of the bridge of my nose. Stop throwing snowballs. Stop acting like a jerk. And he grabs my face mask. 
Oh. He's intimidated. He says, you know, get out of here, you bleeping raider. Oh. Knock him out. Oh. One hit or quitter. One hit or quitter. So then his brother stands up, says, hey, you can't hit my brother. Pop. Knocked his brother <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, you know, this was this was a corner with, with section of the stadium. We were going up the stairs, they were right to the right. To the left, there were like three rows of Raiders fans. And so the Raider Nation just rushed over there. There was a many, many they were just hitting everybody over because they saw me up there. And and then and then of course I was pulled by camera which one of the PR guys was on my arm because I was about to swing again. Somebody was coming in my face. And one of my PR guys was hanging on my arms like, let me go, don't do it. I'm like, oh man, let me fuck myself. I went I went down, back down the stairs, and I went in the locker room. A couple minutes later, the security came in, police actually was. Uh, and they said, uh, the guy wants to press charges. Because they asked me straight up, they were like, did you did you hit? I said, yeah, I, I was assaulted uh, by a battery. And then I showed him the bridge, the cut on the bridge of my nose, I snowball. And he says, well, the guy wants to press charges. I said, okay, that's fine, officer. I'll gladly go with you. I said, let me just tell my coach. I said, me and grab my stuff. Oh, just so you know, if I go with you, I'm suing the police force, I'm suing the security, I'm suing the stadium, I'm suing the city of Denver because I wasn't protected. And I'm showing you proof that that the how the assault happened. Mm. And so they were like, okay, well, you know what? Let's just check with our supervisor. <laughs> um, the DA tried to pursue it a little bit, but the, the, the Raiders legal department, it was nothing ever came out. It was supposed to be subpoenaed later on that year to go to Denver to uh, for, you know, if it went to trial, but I think they just dropped the charges. Nothing ever happened. Wow. I had no idea the Raider fan there. So yeah. uh, I just that in Lincoln, I tell you something, that's kind of the reason why you're here today because that's one of the amazing stories we were hoping to get out of you. So thank you very much. And that was very detailed. I will say this much. We've been, I guess we've been spoiled, if you will, the Bay Area, because we've had two NFL football teams. We've had the San Francisco 49ers and we've had the Oakland Raiders. And the Oakland Raiders left at one point, went to Los Angeles, they came back, and a lot of the fan base was just overjoyed because Really, at the end of the day, the Raider Nation, everything that the Raider is, starts here in Oakland. But you know what they say, you know, good things come to an end. So now they're no longer in Oakland. Now they're in Vegas. You've been going out there. Kind of fill us in on what's going on. What's the vibe? What have you seen? There's a lot of excitement generated by the new stadium. They call it the Death Star. Um, it's beautiful. Um, had a practice in there last week. Gruden wanted to simulate what it would be like on game day. Uh, in the stadium, and so they had a scrimmage last week in the in the stadium. And uh, JT DeBrick and I, we 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 uh, we covered it. Um, Elite State gorgeous. So there's a big vibe out there. But you know, one of the things that you said a moment ago is like, you know, all good things come to an end. I've been affiliated with this organization for 25 years. As you mentioned, came over in 1996 uh, to play with the team. And I remember, you know, the late great Al Davis, may he rest in peace, saying at that at that time, um, you know, we're going to get a new stadium. We're going to get a new stadium. And it became, when I started covering the team as far as a broadcaster and analyst seven years ago, it, it was almost, I, was, I almost felt a little bit shame because we had to share our stadium with the baseball team. And meanwhile, you see all these other stadiums going up around the country. You see Jerry's World, you know, you see 49ers get a new place and, and, and all these things were happening. And I'm thinking to myself, here's one of the most iconic teams in sports history. And they have to share a stadium with a baseball team. And it wasn't a good thing. It was embarrassing. It was, I didn't mind playing on the dirt because that's just what I did at the time. Didn't think anything about it. But when I covered it, 
And when I went to all these other stadiums, CenturyLink and all these other places, and you see all these things that their cities did for them, it was a little shameful to have to come back to that debacle of a stadium, you know, and smell garlic fries all the time. I mean, it, it just, that's what it was. It was worn down, it was dilapidated, it was beat up and everything. So um, I'm actually happy that the Raiders have finally got their stadium. I'm sad to see them leave Oakland. I still got a lot of great fans in, in Oakland, and I agree with you, Richard. You know, the, the heartbeat, the heart of the nation is right there in Oakland. It was sad to see him go. But as I said, for 25 years or 20-something years, nothing ever got done. Nothing ever happened. And when the whole Vegas thing came up, I, because I work for him, I, of course, have to be supportive where my job goes, but I was not necessarily in love with it. However, now seeing it done, I'm really excited because Vegas is picking up. You know, they've got women's basketball. I think they're going to probably have a basketball team there someday. Probably going to have a baseball team there someday. Um, and, they, you know, they've got the hockey. Getting, Golden Knights are selling out. A really good experience when people can go to the stadiums. Allegiant Stadium is beautiful. And now the Raiders finally have their own home. And I think that's a great testament to Mark Davis and the entire Raider family. But more importantly, I'm excited to when everything's get back to normal, we can actually take advantage and show off that new stadium. And, of course, Lincoln does the radio on the Raiders broadcast with Brent Musburger. You're looking live. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the team itself. Derek Carr is talking about he's sick of disrespect. And I was telling Richard before we went on, uh, a couple of years ago I went to follow him, and he had blocked me. And I had never had any – so he must have watched me do a sportscast – you know, say, oh, he's got a happy feet and he needs to stay in the pocket right. or something I said to have offended him. Right. And I, I was blocked before I could even, you know, follow him. <laughs> so I thought to myself, boy, how sensitive is this guy? But he looks great. He looks in great shape. And he's got some things around him. Uh, what's your take on him with Marcus Mariota behind him? What's your take on that quarterback position? And uh, Derek looks like he's out to prove something this year. Well, I mean, I, I hope so. Because, you know, when I heard the comment – I'm tired of being disrespected. The first thing I thought was like, dude, if you're tired of being disrespected, earn it, play better. You know? yeah. The thing is, is that, you know, a lot, I had some of those Twitter thugs try to come at me and be like, well, statistically, I'm like, look, I'm not about analytics. I'm an eye test guy. And the thing is, is in this league, because we're in a performance-based business, what does it come down to? How many times you win? That's what it comes down to. And I know the defense wasn't the best last year or whatever. But now for the, for the, for the sake that what Derek Carr is speaking on, there's no more excuses. He's got a running game. He's got an offensive line. He's got a plethora of wide receivers. Now he's, and as the orchestrator, he just has to make it happen. So, you know, I've told people before, it's not like he was playing sloppy in the past, but they just weren't winning. So, you know, when Gruden got their first year, they went in four and 12 and then seven and nine last year. I expect them to take a next step, possibly nine wins, maybe 10, depending on how it goes. I really don't know how this whole season is going to go with the COVID and the way things have kind of shut down. But with that being said, you know, you don't have to look far to see what the pinnacle or the idea of success is because they're in the same division, the Kansas City Chiefs. So until you're able to get over that hurdle and until you're able to challenge them in part of the AFC, you've got a lot of work to do. You know, it's, it, and this is a great uh, uh, piece that you put up because I was going to talk about that. I was going to talk about some of the competition. Um, I was just reading today, apparently, I guess, uh, uh, Tyrell Williams has got a, a labor material. He says he can play through it. And this is the year that's not like any other year. You know, this is a year where, you know, the COVID-19 has totally, you know, caused, you know, the way operations are being, are being held in the NFL, particularly with the Raiders. So when you look at that division, 
and you say to yourself, okay, you know, yeah, cars had, you know, some issues. But the one thing about car, and the reason why I am going to stick up for him here is because I consider the fact that car has had to deal with uh, placement of different coordinators. And we've seen what happened with, with first string quarterbacks when coordinators change. It just it changes their whole perspective on how the game is played. Sometimes there's not a lot of balance. Um, he did have the injury the one year. So, I mean, my, my whole deal with, with Carr is that do you think this is the year that he can capitalize on the fact that, one, you know, the COVID-19 is going to change things. It's true. They're still looking up at KFC. KFC, listen to me. <laughs> that was good. I like that with KFC. Kansas City Chiefs. Um, is, is this something they think that they can capitalize based on what they have this year? Well, you, look, you talk about the positives. It's his third year with Gruden. <clears throat> Okay, uh, and, and understanding Gruden's philosophy. And now, mind you, Derek understands Gruden's offense to the nth degree. And because Gruden, a little insight about Gruden's offense, Gruden will always give you a quarterback an option to go somewhere with the ball. You will always have it. If it's not your main um, priority receiver or second option, there's a check down. And so Derek last year used that almost, in my opinion, a lot of times almost as detriment because he, didn't, he wasn't really looking downfield. And then he, he created such a relationship with Waller and Renfro that when they, later in the season, people knew their tendencies. So he wasn't looking at a lot of other receivers. He was just he – was, he, he was predictable. The offense was predictable. Uh, and then when Jacobs went down, they didn't have the balance of the run game, the consistency of the run game, and so that was hard for them to capitalize on. With all that being said, you know, still looking forward to this season, the fact that they got Ruggs, who's a speedster, who's a stretch to fill, that should open up opportunities for, you know – Gruden either go five wides, or we've seen them because they brought in Witten, they'll probably go three tight ends. You know, these false Moreau, these guys come back in, and he wants the Gruden's still old fashioned. He's got a fullback, Alec Ingo, that he wants to run behind and, and run out of that, that sort of package. So he can have a number of things that he could change up. It's going to come down to Derek executing and understanding. And to me, it's a level of trust. And what I mean by that is that uh, a couple of years ago, when Derek broke his ankle in the Indianapolis game, that affected him up here because then the offensive line was going a little through turmoil. It wasn't inconsistency. And I understand when he got hit. He was on his way probably to challenge for MVP that year. That's that good of a year. And then when it was all went said and done, nothing to show for it, ousted the first round against the Texans. So coming back, the offensive line had problems. And that was Del Rio's final year. Um, took a lot of hits, a lot of sacks. Then Gruden came in and just totally revised his whole roster, turned it over. Didn't have what you think, they, but they committed to him as far as a franchise quarterback, and then they started putting pieces together. And this is probably the most complete offense that I've seen since I've covered this team. There's no holes. The only thing that we can hope for, and we didn't really get it last year with this offensive line because due to suspensions and injuries, the whole line really didn't play together only a handful of games, two or three games. And now this year, when you know the new coming back of the beginning of the season and such an emphasis, especially in the first part of the season, now it's time for them to play together. So, you know, the way I look at it is no more excuses. Put up or shut up. And I've said that, you know, many times when it comes to it because you have – there's nothing that you can complain about. You know the system. You've got players. Now you just need to make the engine go. And they've got a lot of young players. Josh Jacobs, you mentioned. Renfro, the wide receiver. Uh, you know, Darren Waller, I mean, maybe the best tight end in the league last year. And then Ruggs uh, adding some speed, uh, you know, at that position. And as Richard mentioned, Tyrell Williams has a torn labrum. But – That'll be interesting. Now, defense is where they have to get better. They got a lot faster in the offseason. 
You know, I had some good uh, finds last year, Matt Crosby. And uh, what about the defense? Well, Shu, you know this. Uh, today's game is all about playing with the first, the rookie contracts. Whether right. it's quarterback or other central, your top, top, top draft picks, you're trying to get the most out of those because when it comes time for agency, you're not going to be able to keep them all. With that being said, I think the Raiders did a tremendous job. May- Mayock and Gruden went out and got Kowalski from Chicago, linebacker, and Corey Littleton from the Rams. Now, Littleton, what he presents is, one, he's a true Mike Backer uh, who's in his prime. Now, the Raiders' defense over the last couple of years has been hurting without that because, you know, shoot, the line, middle linebacker is the quarterback of the defense. Yeah. Many times past because they struggled, whether the injuries or inconsistencies or they're just trying to, you know, take pieces and make it fit, um, you know, they had problems getting people lined up. I mean, just defense, bad defense. So there's going to, they've got a young secondary they're going to have a new linebacker core. There's a still a fight for the third linebacker spot, and I think I think Nicholas Morrow is probably going to be there. Um, he's a good he's a good fit, and this is fourth year, so it's time for him to actually put up a show up as well. Uh, and then the defensive line. Now the defensive line, you know, Max Crosby certainly outplayed expectations last year with the number of sacks, and he had finished tremendous year. A lot of people were expecting a better year, including myself out of Cleveland Farrell, their first pick last year. Um, and if he can play within himself and not think so much, because I think that hurt him last year, um, I think he can be good. But Malik Collins, adding interior pressure. They thought they had it with, with P.J. Hall. They didn't. That's why they ended up releasing him. They've been trying to find a defensive tackle that can get internal pressure and drive the pocket, because you know Shu and Richard with it, everybody going from the gun. Quarterbacks will take their, their initial drop, but then they'll push up in the pocket. So those outside speed rushers just go around them. You've got to have internal pressure. So that's what they're hoping for out of Malik Collins. And then hiring Marinelli as a defensive line coach is, a, is an opportunity to try to generate pressure with that front four. Look, I think Paul Gunther is a tremendous defensive coordinator, but over the past couple of years until now, he really didn't have all the pieces in place. No. And they paid so much attention to their defense, especially the linebacker core, so he can be creative when it comes to coverages and trying to confuse some of these younger quarterbacks out there. So do you think that, that Collins will allow – the interior to give really what's considered to be the one-two punch on that line because we all know that when you have the inside lineman, you got to have the one-two punch. One guy that can force, you know, the line to go one way and then the other guy can just sneak by and then eventually you can get your quarterback to run back. you think he can provide that that surge that they need? I, I, I certainly do. I think he's a capable player and he's still in the prime uh, of his career, so I think he can do that. The thing is, you guys know this, I'm watching the 49ers, how much of a luxury it is to generate pressure with four guys. When you don't have to blitz and stuff like that and you know that you have it, then you can't key on the outside ends. You know, they can't key on on Bosa or, or try to take them away because then you have three other guys that can make an impact. And if you create enough one-on-one matchups, your, your guys are supposed to win. So that, that's what they're hoping uh, out of Collins and crew. They've got to get a good rotation because, you know, what they've had in the past has been inconsistent. More importantly, as the year goes on, it's been worn down. So I think that's what they're pushing for as well. What do you think of the secondary? I love the safety last year that got injured. Uh, his name, Lou, the Abrams. Jonathan Abram. Yeah. What do, you th- uh, what do you think of the secondary? Sort of a throwback. Here's the thing. Um, and when I say throwback, because he has a tenacity of a hitter, you know, yeah. uh, Tatum. Tatum, exactly, exactly. You know, and you know this shoot in today's game, you kind of have to pull back on that because they call it. They call it. It's not as it's not as tenacious a game as it once was. So he's got to pull. But his fierceness, his athleticism, and his desire to want to be good, 
really stands out. He and and they, he was missed last year in that secondary. He's missed it last year. So they're going to have another part of it. It's going to be a young, virtually only as far as the corners go. You know, one year of experience, um, and they're going to be trial by fire. And you talk about a division that's got some wide receivers. You know, we talk about Kansas City, what they do. It's going to be trial by fire. But if they can just uh, play within themselves, and I think that's also the reason why Paul Gunther needs to get a rush because he's going to have to do some some coverage schemes uh, to, to to scheme up some of these receivers around the league, especially to help those young cornerbacks uh, in, in secondary. But I'm enthralled by the defense. I'm really excited to see them uh, this year. I think they're going to be good. So let, let's let's take a look a closer look at that offense for a moment. And the reason why I ask is because we know that over the last couple of seasons, you know, the NFL there's been talk around that you know the the running back has been pretty much devalued. To this day, I have no idea why this is happening. Okay, because I'm I'm from that time when hey, the running back is crucial to make the offense go. Okay, but over the last couple of years, we've seen this, and we've seen what Kyle Shanahan has done. Because, you know, you got to tip your head because Shanahan's just like, look, y'all go ahead and you value the running back if you want to. I'm going to use him because I know what he can do for our offense. Now, do you think that's something that Gruden is going to go with this year? Do you see, you know, types of, of, of setups where, you know, the running back may come out of the backfield to get a toss from 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 uh, from the quarterback in, in Oakland, uh, excuse me, in Vegas? Do you see that happening this year? Without a doubt. I mean, Gruden still loves to run the ball, and that hasn't changed. He can go two backs. He can go three tight ends, two tight ends. He, he loves to run the ball. Ever since I played for him, when he had a, knew he had an offensive line, he loved to run the ball. And the running game is actually a quarterback's best friend. But just a moment on the comment about running back. The reason why most people in the NFL have devalued the position of running back is because overall there's not one guy that can stay healthy long enough to get the most out of him. And I've seen teams run the heck out of him. You know, you talk about Derrick Henry last year with, uh, with the Titans. How many times did they run him? And you see the success they have. So there's still coaches who believe in a running game. It's running back by committed. And a lot of times you got to have – you don't want to be that tail-off. Like when, when Beast Mode, when Marshawn Lynch played with the Raiders, every time he came on the field, the defense knew that they were going to run the ball because, one, he wasn't going out of the backfield catching a whole lot of passes. And they tried to work him in. They tried to change him up, but it just wasn't his forte. And that's why they had DeAndre Washington and Jalen Sharp. And, and defenses knew that, the key on it. So the great thing about Jacobs is Jacobs can catch out of the backfield. This, this offensive line is athletic to be able to, be able to create, create a screen game. Um, they, and they, they've been working on that as well. So there's just another added fast phase of this offense. Um, but, yeah, Gruden will be using the running backs a lot in Vegas. So 9-7, 10-6 this year possibly? You know. That's a tough division. It, it's, tough, it's tough to call. It really is. I mean. Got to play the NFC South, which is one of the better divisions in, in football, right? And then you've got your division. And, and the, you know, look, the Chargers and the Broncos are no teams to sleep on. I think they've got better. I don't really put give the Chargers a big advantage because they're still inconsistent in a quarterback play. That's a big part of it. But if the if the Broncos have their way, they'll want to run the ball and play stingy defense. And, and we kind of seen some pieces of that last year. So the division is what a division is. Um, I still think that the Raiders are the second-best team in this division. Kansas City's really a couple steps above them. Um, but with this whole thing, shoe, I, I don't know how it's going to go in, in Richard because I was in a stadium, as I said, calling a, a, a scrimmage last week. If they don't pump in ambient noise, it, it's going to be hard for these guys to get, get the energy up. And, shoe, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because you've practiced against teams before. I've practiced against teams before. That's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like a glorified, you know, combined practice. 
it's hard to generate that energy without having people there. Right. Especially the Raider Nation. They're the best Absolutely. fans in the All right, before, before Richard has one transaction question for but I never really asked you that. John Brood was traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the year before you guys went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, the Glazer family came out to interview Mariucci with the Niners and took Gruden home with them. Following year, he comes back and he beats you guys in the Super Bowl. Right. And that had to, I don't know, what was your feeling about that? You, I know you wanted to kick his butt when you went down there because, you know, wait a minute, you left us? You know, for money, basically, and you know, well, what would, that was just the oddest thing maybe ever in the NFL. Well, what are your thoughts on that? You know, the the last game that I played under Gruden was the Tuck Road game, and um, I remember after that game going in the locker room very somber because we felt we got robbed. You did, uh, and and Gruden said, you know, you'll you'll never you'll never win. They'll 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 always keep the Raiders down. And, you know, we thought the conspiracy about the refs, you know, all that time it took to, for the rule and everything else. So I remember a couple weeks later getting a phone call from, from Mr. D. And he told me, he said, I just, he said, I never liked teams interfering with coaches under contract. He said, Tampa Bay came to me and made me an offer. They wanted Gruden. And I thought that I, he, this was, this was his words. He said, I thought that I put the stakes high enough to where they wouldn't agree to it. Wow. Our choices, money, and everything else. And they did. They agreed on it. Wow. And so I, was, I got this phone call when I landed in Hawaii for the Pro Bowl. And I was just like, and Timmy was there, and Rich was there. And I was like, did you hear what happened? And he's like, yeah, I can't believe it. And so we were all, you know, all those guys that were at the Pro Bowl that year, we were all talking around amongst ourselves about, you know, what are we going to do with coach? We got to, for coach, we got a good system. You know, what, what are we going to do? So we actually, when we got back from Hawaii, we went to see Mr. D. We all lobbied for Callahan to get the job. So it just made sense. Callahan was the run guy and exactly the offensive line. So it just made sense to have that promotion. Well, as you know, the following year, well, the Super Bowl year, we won the first four games, came out of the black bus, blockbusters in the first four games, then lost the next four games. And then the transitional game was when we were up in Denver. I think we were playing on Monday night or whatever. Sunday night was a night game. But Rod Woodson had that 106-yard return touchdown. Jerry Rice had a big game. and We ended up winning that game, and we got back on track, um, making it towards the playoffs. So long story, trying to make a long story short. Um, when we got to the Super Bowl, we knew we were up against Gruden. But we also, we felt in our hearts that we were unstoppable. We, as an offense, we were the number one ranked offense. We just had, we only ran a handful of plays. We just did different variations of plays. I think it was like, I think we might have had like nine or ten plays that we ran, just different variations, had audibles on. But we were so efficient at doing it, no one could stop us. And we, we were really a good offense. So the, the one thing when I look back on it, hindsight being 2020, I wish it was different. I wish we had more than a week for preparation. Because the AFC game against the Titans was probably the most physical football game I ever played in. And I was really beaten up. I was really tired. I had went with the mindset when we went down to San Diego that if we won that game, I was ready to retire because my body was starting to fail me. Um, anyways, we, we go through the, the Super Bowl. And it wasn't like, you know, people want to sit there and blame it on Barrett, you know, being AWOL or whatever. It wasn't that. Gruden knew us better than we knew ourselves. Mm -hmm. And he went... You know, he went to his, his defensive coordinator, and he's like, look, when you line up like this, Rich is going to check to this, 
and this is what it means. And I swear, as though I could still see it and hear it, you know, there was an audible during the game, the first half of the game, and their defensive backs and their linebackers, okay, he's running the slant, he's running the check, and I'm like, they know our plays. Uh-huh. And so it really caused a lot of confusion. And if you think the difference in the football game was the, the four uh, interceptions for touchdowns, the run backs, pick sixes, that was the difference because once we realized what was going on, everybody was scrambling, or what, what can we do? You know, Rich was like, I want to give dummy, dummy audibles. I want to give dummy calls. I was like, can't do that because we got Adam True in there, and I don't want him to get confused. You know, it's so a pressure of the, you know, you have your replacement uh, center. It's like, I don't want him to get confused and call a block and see him end up getting hit. Can't do that. So, you know, went in at halftime, and Callahan's like, we're just going to have to call these plays and run. Simplify the playbook down, just run it, no matter what it is. We'll take our love, see what we get. Um, so, you know, sitting back and, and watching that game fall apart, after the last pick six, I think it was by Derek Brooks, I just I, I felt like crap. I really did. I mean, because it, it was hard. You get to the Super Bowl and you think that all your dreams are answered and then you lose. Um, and I, I, I was seriously done. I was thinking about being done. And it went in a locker room and, you know, we found out about Barrett. He was okay. But it was just like, this is just a big mess. So coming back, with, you know, in the offseason, all those veterans got on the phone with one another. And I remember Rich calling me and saying, hey, man, let's, let's give it another run. We still got everybody every contract. Let's give it another run, see what we can do. And Callahan's feelings were so hurt about what had happened, he wanted to change the whole offense in the spring. Change up everything. And now Rich is coming off of an MVP year. We've got Jerry Rice and Tim Brown. All these guys are getting their catches and stuff like that within the office. They don't want to change anything. You know what I mean? So it was kind of a – in spring was a little bit of a debacle. But, you know, the, the team fell apart the following year, um, my last year, when, uh, when, when Callahan imploded and when he went on TV and said, we got to be the dumbest team in America. Right. He just lost him. So, you know, that was a run. But, I mean, look, hindsight, you look back on it, you can't fault Gruden because Gruden told me many times I never want to leave. It's just that Al had it in his mind. Coaches are only worth so much. And that was the impasse that they were on. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I would have never – I don't think I would have ever given a Gruden contract that Mike Davis did. <laughs> you know, Mark Davis did. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it is what it is. But it's one of those lessons learned. So I got one last question for you. We're actually going over it. But I got to ask you this question because I've always wanted to know, Lincoln. Now, you've been in the league, I think, what was it, 13 years? 11 years. 11, 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. In your 11 years – of being a professional football player. And like I said, she won't give me credit, but I played football too, okay? And I can tell you, when I played football, there was that one year, and every football player has it, where you, you look at what's going on and, and you look around and you say to yourself, okay, you know what? This year is not like last year. Um, my body's not responding the way it did last year. Uh, the person I'm working with is not the same. You know, the things I was able to do last year, I'm not doing as well. What, would, what year was that for you? And who was your toughest, your toughest opponent? Well, I answer the second question first. By far, it was it was Reggie White, the Minister of Defense. Wow, uh, it was he was a guy you always had to bring a lunch for. And I remember the first time I played against Reggie when he was um, when he was in Philadelphia, and um, and I played against him a little bit with Atlanta. Uh, and then the second time I saw him was when I was with the Raiders, and he was with Green Bay. I told him straight up, I'm like, look, I'm not making your highlight film. I've seen your highlight film. I'm not gonna make. <laughs> So I'm going to do anything and everything I can to stop you. But he was by far my, my toughest uh, defensive lineman to play. But he played against a lot of great ones. You know, Kevin Green, 
Bruce Smith, Chris Dolman, you know, my one claim to fame that I still hold personally true, I never gave a sack up to any defensive lineman that, that I played against uh, that's in the Hall of Fame. So all those, Jason Taylor, all those guys never once gave a sack up to any of them. But with the, the, now the, the answer to your first question, I was prepared to leave after a Super Bowl year. If we had won the Super Bowl, I was ready to leave. The game had slowed down to me to where I could see everything in front of me. I was as dominant as, as I needed to be to, to get the job done. Wasn't getting beat. You know, we were running the ball effectively, which I love. We were, you know, my quarterback hardly got touched. I mean, it was just, it was great times. Everything was just, was, was there for the taking. I was ready to ride off in the sunset, a champion. The final year I came back, I loved, loved those guys to talk me into it, even though my body was starting to break down. And my mind was starting to go. And what I mean by that is that um, because my body was breaking down and the recovery time was getting shorter and shorter, it was harder and harder to recover, I was doing a lot of painkillers. Um, I was doing a lot of cocktails of painkillers to keep myself on the field. Um, and then it was, it was a game towards the end of the year where I tore my tricep. In a game, I heard it pop. I think it was against the Packers, too. Um, and they told me I had a torn tricep. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm finished. You know, it just, it was it, it was done because when I turned on film, I didn't recognize who was playing. Because I was doing so much to get on the field, painkiller-wise, due to the painkillers, um, it was hard for me to recognize who was playing. And wow. remember. And I was married at the time, and I remember, you know, um, coming home one time after a game and I was just laughing hysterically because I was higher than a kite. And my mom was like, uh, you know, she said, is it worth it? She's like, we got kids, is it worth it? And I was like, no, it's not, it's a game. And I've got the rest of my life. Yeah. And I want to be children, so I'm not going to kill myself to play this game. Well, a good way to end it right there. Lincoln Kennedy, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Big Smooth, I've called him over the years, and uh, it's great to see you again, buddy. Thanks a lot. Good to see you, Shu. Thanks for having me. You too, Richard. Yep, Lincoln Kennedy. I still call him, you know, the big LK. Thanks for being <laughs> on. Um, and this is Game Face. So I'm here to tell you, if you want to come in next week, you can. We'd love to have you. But if you do, you better have your game face on. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.